Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. The vertical's off between you and God, horizontal's not going to happen. It's just not. I mean, it may happen, but it only lasts for so long. The most important relationship that you and I have in this world is that with God. And that's your vertical. So God can step into your life and drop down the plumb line and say, let's see where you're at. Let's see where you're at. Let's see how healthy your vertical is. You're off. You're crooked. Well, praise God, he doesn't have to completely throw you away, but we can readjust. Stay consistent in pursuing your relationship with the Lord. Pastor James explains to you in today's message that sometimes it can be easy for our vertical relationship with the Lord to be put on the back burner. However, it's this vertical day-in and day-out relationship that empowers you the most with your horizontal relationships. Pastor James teaches us that relationships with others can be extremely difficult and even toxic if you're not regularly meeting with God. Take the time to sit with Him. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Amos chapter 7 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We're going to get a little bit more personal details from Amos in chapter 7, which makes him very relatable to, I believe, most of us. But this is like the last part of his letter to Israel, specifically the northern tribes. And what he has is five visions, and he's going to communicate those. And communicating what the Lord has told him to say is going to get him in trouble with religious people. Isn't it funny how that works? That's just funny, because it still works the same way today. If you share with people what God has said, usually if you just preach the word or talk about the word, religious people will get upset about that. And then they may even just, you know, threaten you, which is what happens to poor little Amos. But look at chapter seven. He's gone through these woe kind of sermons that he's preached to these guys. And chapter seven starts the visions. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I'm going to probably throw in a few changes in some terms here, just because why not? (laughs) So let's look at this. Verse one, the sovereign Lord. There's my first change. Lord Adonai, okay? So that's technically what's being said there. You just probably said, yeah, you just probably said sovereign Lord or whatever, but I just, the the word Adonai is a beautiful word. It's been one of my favorite ones, names of God, for the longest time. But Anytime I see that, I'm like writing that in. Lord Adonai. Um, Lord Adonai showed me a vision. I saw him preparing to send a vast swarm of locusts over the land. So he has prepared them. He has made them, formed them is what it says. This was after the king's share had been harvested from the fields as the main crop was coming up. In my vision, the locusts ate every green plant in sight. Then I said, O sovereign Lord, please forgive us or we will not survive for Israel is so small, okay? Israel or Jacob, okay? So the Lord relented from his plan and said, I will not do it, okay? So this is what's kind of cool about this. Here's Amos. He gets this vision of what God is going to do. And then immediately as a prophet, which he is a prophet, he intercedes on behalf of the people. And God's like, okay, I'll call off the locusts, right? And he does. So the locusts don't come. They don't come. Then there's another vision, a vision of fire. Sovereign Lord, Lord Adonai, showed me another vision. I saw him preparing to punish his people with great fire. 
The fire had burned up the depths of the sea and devoured the entire land. Then I said, O sovereign Lord, please stop or we will not survive, for Jacob is so small, Israel is so small. Then the Lord relented from this plan too. I will not do that either, said the sovereign Lord, right? So Adonai says, okay, I won't burn him up, right? And it's just a beautiful thing to see Amos. He, he sees this vision and this vision, two visions of destruction. He's like, please, Lord, no, we can't, we can't survive that. God's like, okay. And then another vision. No, please, Lord, we, your people can't handle this. Okay. And that's where the intercession stops, though, after that second vision. Because the third, fourth, and fifth vision, we'll see how this plays out. But now you have this interesting one of this plumb line. Um, if, you don't, if you don't know what a plumb line is, if you've never worked in construction, I'll just read you this definition for a plumb line. But I mean, if you can imagine, it's just a, it's a, it's a piece of metal with a string attached to it. And it's used to really to make sure that things are straight, okay? There's no crookedness in, uh, in your building and you're you know, constructing whatever it is you're constructing. And you can't manipulate the plumb line. I mean, it is what it is, right? So what, what Amos sees next, he says, he shows me in another vision, I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line, right? So they built this wall using this plumb line. He was using the plumb line to see if it was still straight. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? I answered, a plumb line. The Lord replied, I will test my people with this plumb line. I will no longer ignore all of their sins. The pagan shrines of your ancestors will be ruined, and the temples of Israel will be destroyed. I will bring the dynasty of King Jeroboam to a sudden end. Okay, so again, just a little history. Northern kingdoms, Jeroboam, no good. No good. Not a good king at all, right? And so they established all these shrines and altars in the northern kingdom. Some of the reason for doing that was, well, Jerusalem's just too far to travel to worship. So let's make worship convenient. The problem with that is you've established all these altars that are not really dedicated to Adonai. And so it's, it's idolatry. It's not true worship. And whatever wall that was built up, it's crooked. Here's God standing next to it, and he's going to measure this thing. This, uh, with the plumb line, the vertical is determined. And I, I like that. That's one of the little brief definitions concerning a plumb line. The vertical is determined. And you guys know me. If you've been around me long enough, heard me teach or anything, I always talk about the vertical and the horizontal. And if the vertical's off between you and God, horizontal's not going to happen. It's just not. I mean, it may happen, but it'll only last for so long. The most important relationship that you and I have in this world is that with God. And that's your vertical. So God can step into your life and drop down the plumb line and say, let's see where you're at. Let's see where you're at. Let's see how healthy your vertical is. You're off. You're crooked. Well, praise God, he doesn't have to completely throw you away, but we can readjust, right? So when you're doing construction and all that stuff and you're building walls and you're like, you drop the plumb line, if it's not straight, if it's not vertical, if it's not going the way you want it to go, then you have to like, well, you have to address that. So that's what the Lord is doing for Israel. He's like, you're building all this stuff, but I'm going to test it. But I'm going to test it. He's the building code inspector, right? He's that guy who shows up. I don't know if you've ever done construction or had to deal with code enforcement. They're not the most pleasant guys to deal with sometimes, okay? 
No fault to them at all. Hopefully that's nobody in this room or watching online. No fault to you at all. I've had some run-ins, so, okay? Brother owns his own, owned his own heating and air business. We had run-ins with code enforcement. And you see one guy coming, you're like, we like that guy. You see another guy coming, you're like, don't, don't go, no, we need another guy, right? Because that guy is not holding the plumb line right. Anyways, here the Lord is stepping into this scenario, and he's like, you're off. You're off. Proverbs 21.2, I'm going to read this to you guys. Beautiful little proverb. It says, people may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines the heart. And that cross-reference is directly applied to that plumb line. He knows how to show up in your life and drop that plumb line, so to speak, and say, okay, well, where are you at with this vertical thing? And trust me, I've, I speak from experience in the sense of if the vertical is not healthy, the horizontal, it's not what it could be. It's not what it should be. And it'll only go for so long, okay? And then in some key indicators for this, why not throw out some practical application? How do you know if the vertical is off? Well, if you find yourself getting very frustrated with people, especially those near and dear to you, the vertical is probably off. Vertical is probably off. You're like, but they're annoying me, <laughs> right? Well, okay, yeah, I, I get it. But um, that's oftentimes an indicator that the vertical relationship between you and the Lord might not be where it should be. And so just readjust that thing. It does not mean... If this is absolutely perfect, the vertical is absolutely perfect, then you are going to get along with anybody and everybody. That's not true, okay? You might have some beef with some people, but it, you're not snapping at people. You're not short with people. You're not, you know, blowing your fuse with individuals. You're not losing it with those who are closest to you just at the snap of something. And again, I speak from experience. My wife and kids know when something's not right with dad, because of how I snap at them, how I react, and how I respond sometimes. And then it causes me to do a, a little heart check. I'm like, oh, man, Lord, I'm not, this isn't where it needs to be. And I, have to, and I apologize to the Lord for that. And I apologize to my family for that. But this is a good thing. This is from a loving God who's like, I'm going to step into your life and see where you're at because I care about you. And for the nation of Israel, he's like, you guys are rebelled against me. He never turned his back on them. They turned their back on him. But he's constantly stepping in saying, let's fix this. So this is a vision that he sees, Amos sees. And the Lord's like, I can't ignore their sins any longer. It's, time's up. Time's up. Pagan shrines and all that stuff, they're going to be just destroyed. And then, he, again, no, there's no intercession for the people here from Amos. He doesn't, there's no prayer for the people. He's not like, oh, no, Lord, it's too much. We can't, because Amos knows. He's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Don't send the locusts. Please don't send the fire. We, we couldn't survive utter desolation and destruction. But God's like, look at the sins. And Amos is like, you're right. Destroy those altars. Destroy those altars. Verse 10, here's where we get a little insight into Amos. Kind of cool. It says, Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, house of God, Bethel. They're living in sin and rebellion. Sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is hatching a plot against you right here on your very doorstep. What he's saying is intolerable. We can't put up with this. He's saying Jeroboam will soon be killed and all the people of Israel will be sent away into exile, right? So here's Amaziah. He's a priest and he's hearing from a prophet who he's already going to discredit because he's a shepherd and he's a fig picker, right? That's low class. Like, that's the lowest of the classes, and especially these types of figs that he would pick. 
So this priest, who's got it all together, although he's a priest in a rebellious part of the world, in Bethel, house of God, right, where they're doing anything but worshiping God, he goes to Jeroboam, who's the king. He's like, hey, we need to get rid of Amos. Because he's saying that, God's, that you're going to die and that we're all going to be taken as captives. Number one, Amos wasn't saying that. God was saying that through Amos. It says, Amaziah sent orders to Amos. This is verse 12. Get out of here, you prophet, you seer, you visionary is the words that are used there. It depends on your translation, okay? I kind of like you visionary, right? Like he's like, you get out of here, right? He's trying to shoo him away. Go back to the south. That's where you're from. Go back to Judah, okay? You're a country bumpkin. You get out of here. Us northerners don't like you, whatever. We don't like what you're saying. Well, because he's speaking truth, and people don't like it when you speak truth. But he's like, you need to leave. He said, get out of here. Go on back to the land of Judah. Earn your living by prophesying there. He doesn't earn a living by prophesying. (laughs) He's like, well, that's not my job. And he tells them, it's amazing. He says, Amaziah is still going on. Don't bother us with your prophecies here in Bethel. This is the king's sanctuary and the national place of worship. Well, wait a minute. No, it's not. It's Jerusalem, right? Yeah, Amber knows that. We know that. They knew that. Bethel's never been the national place of worship. Oh, but in their eyes, it is. They're so far from God. They're so far from him. They're making all the rules now. We went through Leviticus. The main thing I kept saying through Leviticus is we don't get to define what worship is. God has already defined what worship is. We align with what he says. That's it. But here in the northern tribes, they're not only changing what worship is, they're changing location of where worship happens. Completely in the face of God. This is just rebellion. Amos replies, verse 14, I'm not a professional prophet, and I, never, and I was never trained to be one. It's like, I didn't go to school for this. It's like, I'm not a prophet. I am right now, but I'm not a prophet. He says, I'm a shepherd. I'm just a shepherd, and I take care of sycamore fig trees. Which again, those are the lowest ones, right? Nobody wants to pick figs from sycamore trees. But he does because he's a shepherd, and he also has to, he's got to make money where he can. So he's the lowest of the low, uneducated, blue collar, smells like sheep. Hands are all cut up from picking figs. And then here he is in the presence of a priest in his priestly garb, playing a role, playing a part. He's like, I'm not a prophet. I'm a shepherd. I know who I am. At least he knows his place. This priest is clueless. How'd that priest even become a priest? You're a priest of what? Are you from the tribe of Levi? Probably not. So who made you a priest? Oh, you're a priest of falsehood. You're a priest of pagan stuff. Oh, you're a priest for a king who's ungodly. Interesting. Verse 15, though, Amos, but, but, the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, go and prophesy to my people in Israel. Right? So here's Amos. He's like, I'm a shepherd, fig guy. That's who I am. Make incredible fig jam. You would love it, right? He's like, that's just what I do. But in doing that, God showed up and is like, Amos, leave the sheep. They're fine. Go to the northern tribes. I got a message you need to share with them. Amos said, 
Okay. There's no fight in Amos at all that we have recorded. What's, what's amazing about that is like with other guys, you had, you had a little bit of a, a fight, okay? You had Moses. Moses was like, no, I don't think so. Can't do it. I can't do it. I can't talk. Moses, you're educated. He was one of the most educated men of the Old Testament. Moses, you, he's like, no, I can't do it. I can't talk. And there were always ones who were like, God's like, I need you to go and do this. And they're like, nah, not me. <laughs> not me. Here's Amos. He's the shepherd. He's just, you know, taking care of sheep and dealing with figs. And God's like, oh, go tell him. He's like, done. All right. You got it. And he goes. And I love it. Just obedience. It's amazing. He didn't fight with God. He didn't remind God that he's like, I didn't go to prophet school. And nobody in my family is a prophet. God, so I don't know if you know how this works down here, but only those who have degrees can speak on your behalf. Only those who grew up with their dads being pastors or a grandpa being a pastor can actually be pastors. God, that's how it works down here. And God be like, well, your system's busted. It's broken. Like, that's silly. You don't need a degree to speak on behalf of God. Does it help? Sure. Some cases, not all cases. A lot of people go to seminary and they don't come back as Christians. I mean, how good is that? Like, what do you, what do you want, right? So, I mean, it's not bad, but you don't need a degree in theology to know the one who you're studying. You just need a Bible and a heart that's open to hear him. And not just to hear him, but to put into practice what he tells you to do, just like Amos, the shepherd prophet, blue-collar guy. So I love this because the Bible always lets us know from some of these heroes, although most people, I don't, you don't ever hear of Amos being like one of the heroes of the Bible, but he is. God is constantly putting on display for you and for me individuals who he loves to use who are not quote-unquote qualified. So that removes any excuse that we have of saying, you can't pick me, you can't use me because of this. And God's like, well, okay, just read your Bible some more then. Once you read through it, then come back to me with that excuse. And let's see if it holds. It doesn't. You and I, we may not be qualified, quote unquote, but he can qualify us to do whatever it is he's called us to do. And Amos is like, look, I know who I am. I know my background. I know where I come from. But God's called me. He's called me. Did he remain a prophet forever? No. He went back to taking care of sheep after this. That's probably what he did. He probably died as a shepherd and picking figs. He had this one moment, and literally it's, it's a small, small period of time where he got to be a prophet for God and go to the northern tribes and to speak on behalf of God. It's a small window for him, but that was probably it. I mean, we don't really know much about him at all, but I would assume he goes back to his sheep and he dies just living a simple life, knowing like, hey, yeah. God used me. God spoke through me <laughs> to his kids, his grandkids, and whoever else within his little town there. But here's what he, he says to this priest. He says, now listen to the message from the Lord. And if you can imagine just the look on a priest's face when a shepherd is telling him to, no more talking, you need to listen to this, right? Okay. He says, you say, don't prophesy against Israel. Stop preaching against my people. But this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in this city. And your sons and daughters will be killed. Your land will be divided up. And you yourself will die in a foreign land. And the people of Israel will certainly become captives in exile far from their homeland. 
period. Drops the mic and walks away, right? And you're like, you're like, oh, he just, he's like, look, priest, you're preaching all this false stuff to the people. That was a, a thing that was happening back then. Prophets who were actually inspired by God and given words from God concerning this captivity that did happen, other guys were like, no, 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 don't listen to them. It's peace, prosperity. It's good. It's all good. Hey, we serve the one true God. Well, do you? Do you? I mean, he is the one true God, but do you actually serve him? Because the Babylonians are on the way. Like the capti- captives, you know, you will be cap- taken captive. It, captivity is coming for you. But these other prophets, quote unquote, so-called prophets, were going around following these actual prophets saying, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Look, we're good. We're good. And remember, at this time when this letter was written, Israel was experiencing prosperity. They were experiencing prosperity. So they could seem like, no, 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 look, our economy has never been better. Obviously, God is pleased with us because when he's pleased with us, good things happen to us. It was like, but that's not always true, though, is it? So then that's, that was the end of that little, little you know, interjection that he had concerning, he's like, I got this vision, got this vision, got this vision. Oh, yeah, by the way, let me let you know what, what Amaziah told me that one time. And then he goes right back into his visions. A vision of ripe fruit, verse 1 of chapter 8. The sovereign Lord, Lord Adonai, showed me another vision. In it, I saw a basket full of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos, he asked. I replied, a basket full of ripe fruit. Then the Lord said, like this fruit, Israel is ripe for punishment. Well, that doesn't sound nice. (laughs) You're like, yeah. Well, guess what? You live a life of rebellion, a little punishment might come your way. I mean, God disciplines the ones whom he loves. Okay? Don't be rebellious. That's, it's always funny where people go with some of these things. Oh, God sounds so mean. How about you just don't be rebellious? I don't know. I, don't, I mean, you could go that route, right? Or argue semantics with God of like, yeah, I think you're too mean. It's just he's been warning his people because he loves his people. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me constantly telling them this for hundreds of years. He says, I will, then, I will not delay their punishment again. In that day, the singing in the temple will turn to wailing. Dead bodies will be scattered everywhere. They will be carried out of the city in silence. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. The end has come, as New King James says. I kind of like ripe for punishment, though, honestly. Yeah, the end has come. That's, that sounds, that's okay. But ripe for punishment just sounds a lot better. <laughs> and technically, that's what it says. Ripe for punishment. Like, you are, I mean, he's just going through the, the orchard there, and he's like picking off the fruit. Like, yep, it's ripe. Let's get it. Verse 4, listen to this. You who rob the poor, here's some of their crimes. You who rob the poor, trample down the needy. You can't wait for the Sabbath, or Shabbat, to be over. Wait, what? Yeah, you can't wait for it to be over. Why? So you can earn more money. God keeps getting in my way. God keeps getting in my way of making lots of money and taking advantage of people. He's so overbearing, right? He's just so overbearing, right? Like, this is the, the thought process. Like, can we speed this sundown to sunrise thing up quickly? Can we just do that? Can we introduce daylight savings time, right, in, in Israel, right? So is there any way to speed up Sabbath?
Have you ever noticed how little kids try to get away with something? Like sneaking a chocolate chip cookie out of the cookie jar. They think they've succeeded, except for that smudge of chocolate left on their cheek. Talk about a tell-all sign. They can't see it, but anyone who looks at them can. Misbehavior has a way of being found out, just as wrongdoing can't hide in the light of God's truth. We see this in the stories of the minor prophets that were sent by God to reveal the sin and the traps that the people of Judah fell prey to. But in the midst of it all, we see Jesus fighting for his people. How? Through these messages. Through continually picking sinners up by their bootstraps with convicting yet encouraging words to live fully surrendered. You've just heard from Pastor James Grizzle and the ministry of Bread for the Broken out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today, and our prayer is that you'll find exactly what you've been looking for. We're a group of people of all ages coming together to magnify Jesus. We'd love to have you come join us for a Sunday morning service or a Thursday evening service. You can find out more on our website, breadforthebroken.com. If you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit to help us spread the good news of the gospel, then click on that donation tab. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all that we have for today's edition with Pastor James Grizzle, but we look forward to meeting with you again here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.